0: Today, we want to kind of pick up with where we left off, but I, I want to take a little bit of time to review enough to bring us uh, up to where we're at, uh, especially after a three-week break. It's sometimes easy to lose our our continuity when we have a a break like that. That was one of the advantages at the school where we taught uh, five days a week, uh, Instead of spreading a course through the whole semester, we would do it in blocks. And so Colossians, I taught it uh, over a three-week period of time, uh, five days a week. So you never really lost much continuity. Uh, You were constantly moving forward. But it's a little more challenging when we have a week in between, and especially when we have three weeks in between. Again, I will remind you of the theme that we've been following as we've gone through this letter. And it is the theme that the Christian life finds its sole source in Jesus Christ, who is preeminent over all things. And I hope this theme really uh, sinks in, and that you really take it to heart. The fact that the Christian life finds everything that it needs in the Lord Jesus Christ. It needs nothing outside of His provision. It's all there. And therefore, the Christian life is a journey of coming to know Christ more and more. Not just as our Savior... I mean, every Christian knows Him as Savior, but coming to know Him as our very life. Paul talks about Christ in that life. Christ who is our life. The Christian life is sourced in Him. The new man, that new nature, is one that lives in unity with Christ. It uh, cannot function apart from Him. And so, you know, our journey in the Christian life is not a journey of getting more and more. Our journey is a journey of discovering more and more. Discovering Christ in an ever-deepening way. Coming to understand the provisions that He has made for us. Those things that, as Paul says, are hidden with Him. Twice in this letter he talks about things being hidden. He says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Everything that man was, was seeking through wisdom, everything man was seeking through knowledge is hidden in Christ. And where something is hidden is where you will find it. And then later he talks about our life being hidden in Christ. And the word for life there, as I pointed out, is, is life in an absolute sense. Life as God Himself possesses it. It's hidden for us in Christ. Now, so many things can distract us from Christ. And we get focused on all sorts of things. And especially... You know, our our struggles, our failures, we get focused on them and we want to somehow fix them. And we let them distract us from Christ. And even worse, sometimes, is that some of our successes cause us to be distracted from Christ. The areas that we think we can handle, that we don't need Him. And the Christian life is a journey of learning that without Him we can do nothing. Nothing of eternal value. We can mess up really big time without Him. But that, you know, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that translation is the sanitized version of what it actually says in the original. In the original it says all of our righteousnesses are menstrual rags. That's what the original says. It never gets translated that way. We want to be a little bit, you know, uh, I guess, more careful with our wording in, in, in the translations. But that's what it says. And our life is a journey coming to see So that's what we are apart from Him. Now, everything is found in Christ, and of course we saw uh, this theme reflected at the beginning of the letter with Paul. Again, talking about his prayers for the Colossian believers and everything he prayed in some way tied in to the fact of all that Christ had done in them, all that Christ was doing through them, all that Christ was providing for them. His prayers were very much about Christ and the impact of Christ in their lives. And then he goes on in the next section to deal with the, uh, explaining to us who Christ really is. And what he expresses is a far broader picture than most people have, most Christians have of Christ. Oh, they see him as their Savior, uh, they see him as the Son of God, but they don't realize his you know where he fits into the realm of creation and where he fits into the realm of the new creation and and you know just his sustaining power of all things and so he spends that, uh, that section really describing Christ for us and then he goes into his ministry which he describes as one of preaching Christ Everything about Paul's ministry pointed towards Christ. Then he takes on the challenges. The challenges of of Christ's sufficiency. Those who would uh, promote wisdom. Those who would promote knowledge. Those who would promote the law. And demonstrated the insufficiency of all these things to in any way add to what Christ has done. And then we're in this final main section. We'll have closing comments later. But we're in the section where the focus is on living on the basis of Christ's sufficiency and how it impacts our lives in some very, very practical ways. And Paul, you know, challenges us to put off the old man and to put on the new Now, we've seen that the old man has been crucified. And some mistakenly take that statement to say that the old man's dead. He isn't dead. We died with Christ to the old realm. We were buried with Christ. And, you know, as... Uh, You know, the whole Christian world, you know, focused on, two Sundays ago, you know, Christ was raised from the grave. But we were raised with Him. In fact, I think last week when we listened to that Ukrainian choir, that was one thing that was expressed in their song which oftentimes is not expressed in Christian music, that we were raised with Him. You know, on Easter, so often we sing, up from the grave He arose. Yeah, that's true, but in a sense, up from the grave, we arose. We rose with Him because the life that He has given us is the life that came forth from the grave. The life that he possesses. And so Paul challenges us to put off the old man and put on the new. A new man that is sourced in Christ. That cannot function apart from him. And then Paul begins to talk about how this is intended to impact us. The things we are to put off. You know, the things we are to turn from, the things we are to put on, the things that describe the old that we're to turn from those things, and the things that describe the new we're to move in that direction. Now, as I pointed out the other week, you know, the new man that we inherited at the moment of salvation is not omniscient. He doesn't just know how to do everything that's pleasing to God. He's got to grow. And that's why in the New Testament it speaks about growing. Growing in grace. Growing in our knowledge. Growing in our understanding. And as you know, new creations, we start out as infants, but we can grow little by little, day by day, year by year. And as we grow, that new life becomes more and more recognizable. (laughs) It stands in ever uh, sharpening contrast from that old Adamic life. Now, The last two Sundays that we, you know, were moving forward in our study here, we were looking at how putting off the old and putting on the new has the potential to really impact our family relationships. Now, again, several weeks ago I put this statement up, and I think it's it's worth putting up again. In that, there are two distinct natures seeking expression by means of our as yet unredeemed body. We must keep them separated in our thinking. We've got to keep the old man and the new man separated in our thinking. In itself, the old nature is strong to do evil. This old Adamic nature, it can sin very well on its own. Doesn't need any outside help. Times we want to blame things on Satan. And I'm not saying Satan's not involved in what's going on in the world today. He is. But there's a lot of stuff we blame Satan for that it is us. Again, I think I talked about that comic strip from years and years ago, Pogo in which one of the more well known ones was we have discovered the enemy and it is us in our Christian life we discover at some point the enemy and it is us it's that old Adamic nature that is capable of sinning very well on its own doesn't need Satan's help Although Satan's more than happy to help it out, and the world's more than happy to help it out, but it sins very well on its own. So in, in, in itself, the old nature is ever strong to do evil. Only by the Spirit is the new nature to, strong to bring forth righteousness. It's only as we walk in uh, under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, yielding ourselves to Him that we have the capacity to live a righteous life. Now, you know, I was challenging you, you know, in these last two times we met, to keep this in mind as we talk about the family. Talk about wives and their relationship to their husband, husbands in relationship to their wife. You know, Scripture calls upon the wife as an act of service to God and an act of service to her husband to choose to rank under Him. But that's only really going to take place as the believing wife puts off the old and puts on the new. The old nature does not want to submit to anyone. And if forced to do so by outside pressure, it doesn't do it from the heart. And so, you know, in our marital relationships, a good barometer for the wife as to whether she is truly putting off the old and putting on the new... Is what her attitude towards her husband is. You know, if, if she has a totally unsubmissive attitude towards him, it should serve as a cautionary flag that maybe she isn't walking in the spirit. That maybe she's Uh, relating to her husband through the energy of the flesh. That she's relating to her husband as this old creation. And I think what is important to realize is oftentimes we tend to think that we're either totally... Living on the basis of the old man, or totally living on the basis of the new man, I, I personally believe we compartmentalize our lives, and there are areas of our lives where we walk in the spirit, and there are areas of our lives that we still walk in the flesh, and it 's not either a hundred percent of one or a hundred percent of others. Oftentimes, we do a pretty good job of walking in the Spirit when we're at church. When we go home, it's a different story. You know, there the flesh shows itself. And some might say, well, we fake it at church. Maybe we do, but maybe it's not that. Maybe it is that our focus is more on Christ when we're at church. And we, we get a better glimpse of what we are in Him. Oftentimes, you know, we're accused of hypocrisy because we look one way at church and another way at home or out in the work world. And often the view is that the hypocrisy is at church. I think oftentimes the hypocr- uh, hypocrisy is at home and out in the world. The hypocrisy is that we live like old creations. That's the hypocrisy. Because we are new creations in Christ. The hypocrisy isn't that we live like new creations at church. The hypocrisy is that we don't live like new creations when we're out in the unbelieving world. We, We seek to blend in with them. So, for the wife, again, a good barometer of when she's walking, uh, living on the basis of the new nature rather than the old, is her attitude towards her husband. A good barometer for the husband is, is he truly acting in love for his wife? Unconditional love. Seeking what is best for her. And that that's what really matters. And he's not becoming embittered because she doesn't respond in the way he'd like her to respond. But that he's doing it totally as unto, unto the Lord. In my flesh, I do not have the capacity to love Jonelle the way she needs to be loved. I only have that capacity as I live my life in union with Christ. And then he talks about parents. Again, a good barometer for us as parents in dealing with our children. Is, you know, are we exasperating them? Are we creating in them an underlying hostility? Are are we treating them the way God treats us as His children? Are we dealing with them on the basis of grace like He deals with us? I guess I skipped over children. You know, the measure for a child, whether he's putting off the old and putting on the new, is does he obey his parents from the heart? Not just out of fear that he's going to get punished if he doesn't, but because he knows it is the thing that is honoring to the Lord. Again, the flesh does not do that. And we need to learn to use some of our relationships to be a barometer of whether we're putting off the old and putting on the new. And recognize what the problem is. And the problem is not to try to fix the old Adamic life. I'd say 90% of the time, Christians, when they read some of these passages, and they see what their new life is intended to look like, they try to go back and make the old life look like that. We are not to fix the old life. God said He didn't want to fix it. He nailed it to the cross. Leave it there. Leave that old nasty thing hanging on the cross. I think I said it before. You know, I used to tell my students, you know, we have statements in, in Christendom that oftentimes aren't totally accurate. One of them is that Christ wants you to give your life to Him. No, He doesn't. Your life stinks. He wants you to embrace His life. Big difference. He wants you to give yourself to Him. To give yourself over to Him and to embrace His life as your life. But He doesn't want your life. He wants you to leave it on the cross. Leave it there. Quit trying to drag that ugly thing down and fix it. You've got a new life in Him. Find it. And live on the courting. Now, that brings us up to where we're at today. In Colossians 3, 22... And here Paul moves away from examples from the family life, and he begins citing examples of how living on the basis of one's new identity in Christ would reveal itself within the slave-master relationship. Now, of course, what Paul is dealing with here was a major issue in New Testament times. It's been estimated that at the time Paul was writing that close to 50% of those living in the Roman Empire were slaves. And this means that uh, within the church, you would have had a representative number of of believers who were slaves. Now, that doesn't mean the other 50% were masters, because not everybody owned slaves. But 50% were slaves. Now, oftentimes, you know when we go through this passage, we we sh- uh, seek to shift all the instructions given uh, to slaves and their masters into an employer employee setting, uh, but everything doesn 't exactly line up and even in paul 's day, not everyone fell into these two categories. In fact you see this in some of of Christ's parables you know the parable of the the guy who who goes out and hires a bunch of men in the morning to go and work in his vineyard and then he goes out later and hires some more to go and work in his vineyard and and then he goes later and hires some more and and then again some more so in that parable what becomes clear is there were those who employed others, like in our day, they went out and hired people. So it wasn't everybody was either a slave or, or, or a master. Um, some function very much like we do today, but Paul doesn't address those. He addresses those who are in a binding relationship, In fact, really all of these are, are in a sense, in a binding uh, binding relationship. Certainly, a marriage can be dissolved, but it's not what God intended. You know, uh, when a husband and wife join in marriage, God's intent is that that's a binding relationship, that they will remain bound to each other. Now, again, all the way back during the time of Moses, God permitted divorce. Why? Because of the hardness of their hearts. And unfortunately, there are still people with hard hearts today. Uh, and sometimes a divorce might not be able to really be totally avoided. It's never what God intends. It's never what He desires. But there are instances especially in abusive uh, instances, I believe, where God permits it. Uh, But it's not what He wants. Marriage is intended to be binding. (laughs) Parent-child relationships are intended to be binding. Our children are always intended to be our children. Our parents are always intended to be our parents. And now he gets into the slave-master relationship, which is also binding. And I think it's, it's significant because he's showing the impact that putting off the old and putting on the new can have in these binding relationships where you can't just easily walk away from them. And you can't change them. And so... You know, the fact that our, one's new life in Christ equipped them to function in a God-honoring way, even within slavery, shows what that new life has the potential to do. Now, having said all this, let me note that if the new man is capable of functioning in a God-honoring way in the midst of slavery, it's more than adequate for those of us who live in an employee-employer relationship. I think the difference is, is we don't necessarily, if we have, if somebody has an unreasonable uh boss, they don't have to stay in that job. If they're going to, I think they need to, you know... uh Uh, relate to him in a God-honoring way. But if they have a a boss that is just unreasonable, they can walk away. They can go get another job. The slave in the New Testament could not do that. And so, if this works in that situation, then it it should work also uh, in the um, employee-employer relationship. Now, Paul starts by addressing how putting off the old man and putting on the new is intended to reveal itself in the life of the slave. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And I think Paul here is encouraging something that the fleshly nature, the old man, simply cannot produce. And that is an obedience that's not merely external. The flesh, the old man, out of fear of the master, might do what he's told. But it wouldn't be from the heart, and in the heart there there could be rebellion. The new man, though, has provision to show forth the obedient attitude that its source possesses. You find throughout Christ's earthly ministry, Christ's life was lived in complete obedience to the will of the Father. And that obedience was not just an external thing. It was an obedience that flowed from his heart. And that's what these slaves were called to. And I think, it again, there's an application in the employee uh, employee, uh, situation. Not just to do what our boss asks us to do because we're afraid we're going to lose our job or have our pay docked or this or that. But to do it as unto the Lord. And as long as He's not asking us to do something illegal, immoral, or unethical, we're to do it as unto the Lord. And again, if I struggle with my boss and what he's asking, I, while I'm working for him, I look to the Lord to enable me to do it as unto Him, and then to show me where else He would have me to go. <laughs> And to leave that job. But the slave couldn't do that. And so, you know, Paul tells them that instead of simply outwardly obeying out of fear of their masters, to be guided by their reverential fear of God. And as a result, to have a sincere obedience in their lives. He goes on to point out in verses 23 and 24 uh, that this results in them doing their work as unto God rather than men. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. As I've said many, many times, the new man lives in life in uh, complete conjunction with Christ. And like Christ, his life is intended to be God-centered. And so, this new man approaches life very different from the old man. The actions of the old are driven by the desire for recognition. Recognition from men. The desire of the new man, though, is to please the Lord. The new nature is not looking to man to reward him. It's looking to God. And Paul assures his audience here, the slaves in his audience, that if they serve their masters as an outflow of their service to Christ they could count on rewards awaiting them. But he also goes on to warn them that if they fail to do this, then they will suffer a loss of rewards. Now, keep in mind that Paul's letter to Philemon accompanied this letter. And perhaps Paul here is concerned that his plea for Onesimus might bring a wrong reaction from the other slaves. Because he really spends a disproportionate amount of time cautioning the slaves here. And so I tend to feel he's concerned, okay? He's sent Onesimus back, Uh, He sent him a letter of recommendation. He's talked about how dear Onesimus is to him. And I think he's concerned. Maybe this is going to give the other... And and this is a slave who had run away. (laughs) And so now Paul's sending him back with this glowing letter. And so Paul may be concerned. You know, how is this going to be read by the uh, other slave? So, he... Uh, spends a bit of time warning them. Now, certainly, the slaves were not the only ones in danger of suffering a loss of rewards. Any one of us, if we spend our Christian life walking in the flesh, living on the basis of the old man, we're going to suffer a loss of rewards. Rewards that could have been awaiting us, we'll miss out on. Any of us can but perhaps the slaves, more than anyone else, needed to be reminded was what was at stake. You know, for them, life could seem very hopeless. You know, I think it would be very easy for them to think, why not just put on appearances and get through this life? You know, we're never going to really advance in this life. We're always going to be a slave. So, why not just get by and and waiting for eternity? You know, if putting off the old and putting on the new is not going to change my lot in life, why even bother? Well, Paul points out that their response here in time would have bearing on eternity. If they put put off the old and they put on the new man and they live their lives in service to the Lord, a rich reward would be awaiting them. If, however, they chose to continue to live on the basis of the old and their actions and motives were were being guided by this old Adamic nature, then it would not be without consequence. And the consequence is spelled out in his letter to the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 3, where he talks about, you know, uh, our lives are, as it were, building something. And we can either build with gold, silver, and costly stone which I believe is what the new man builds with, or we can build with wood, hay, and stubble, which is what the old man builds with. And he says, you know, the day is coming, you've got this this great building, and it's like God puts a match to it, and you see what's left. And he says, but you'll be saved. It's not that there's an issue of a loss of salvation, but there is a loss of rewards. And so these slaves needed to know, look, yes, putting off the old and putting on the new may not change your lot in life here. But it will have great bearing on eternity. It's worth it for you to put off the old and put on the new. Now, when they stand before God, Paul assures them that God would show no partiality in this matter. He wouldn't be partial towards the masters, but he wouldn't be partial towards the slaves either. And perhaps these slaves felt that because of their lot in life, that God would cut them some slack. (laughs) Paul tells them no. No they have the same responsibility of every other believer to put off the old man and put on the new. And, you know, God was not going to treat them better in eternity because they were slaves. He's going to deal with every believer on the basis of what was done in the flesh and what was done in union with Christ. Now, the fact that there was no partiality to be shown. Also showed that they wouldn't be treated any worse than anyone else. God would deal with them and deal with their masters, both on the basis of what was done in the energy of the flesh and what was done on the basis of their new life in Christ. Now, it's at that point that Paul moves from addressing slaves to addressing masters. Masters, grant to your slaves justice (coughs) and fairness, knowing that you too (coughs) have a master in heaven. Now, the slaves, of course, were encouraged to show forth the kind of obedience that characterized Christ. And again, why? Because they're living a life that is being empowered by Christ. And therefore, their life is intended to reflect Christ. And what characterized Christ? Disobedience. Well, the masters are also encouraged that as they put off the old and they put on the new, they are to show forth the same justice and fairness that Christ shows forth. All of these come back to the fact that as we live our life in union with Christ, our life, whether we're we're a husband or a wife or a parent or a child or a slave or a master or whoever, that our lives show forth what Christ is like so that others can see Him. And Paul reminds them, that these masters, that while they might not answer to anyone here on earth regarding their treatment of their slaves, they did answer to someone. And that was in heaven. Humanly speaking, masters were sovereign over their slaves. Humanly speaking, they answered to no one. But they answered to a sovereign God. And as they put on the new man and they grow in their relationship to Christ, it was meant to manifest itself in their treatment of their slaves being patterned after their heavenly source and the way He deals with those who serve Him. Now that brings us to a good stopping point because here... Paul moves away from addressing specific groups and begins to just spend a little bit of time talking about how as we put off the old and put on the new, it is to manifest itself in, in believers in general. Things that are, should be consistently true across, uh, the body of Christ. Where prayer fits in and where our dealings with the unbelieving world fits in and a lot of these issues. And so we'll pick up with that next week and probably get through the bulk of the, the argument of the letter and then uh, we'll have the, uh, probably the closing remarks the, the, the following week. So, uh, we'll see how things go here. Okay, let me have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the how different our new life in Christ can be. Lord, may we learn to live on the life side of the cross. May we learn to see ourselves as new creations in Christ. May we truly believe that it that is who we are. And Lord, may it be something that others see in us. Lord, James talks about the fact that we're justified by works. And he's not talking about the same thing as Paul. When Paul says we're justified by faith, he's talking about how we appear righteous in your eyes. But James is talking about how we're declared righteous in the eyes of our fellow man. And Lord, if we claim to be your children, the world wants to see something different in us. And I pray that as we put off the old and put on the new, that they will. And, Lord, that it will begin in our homes and spread to our jobs. And, Lord, that it will be seen wherever we go. Now, Lord, we pray for the time we're going to spend in your word there in the main service, the time we're going to spend singing praises to your name. Lord, we just pray that you would be honored and glorified and that it would be a blessing for us. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.